I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Oh, Tony, baby, you're a mess. Thank Grimes, it's Tuesday. It's time for Trend Lightly. Are you ready? The trending news podcast for anyone who is literally not an absolute virgin. (laughs) Extremely online, extremely clueless, horny for Bitcoin. Oh, baby. You're in the right place. Now it's time to meet your host, the Irish-American Tornado and the real Princess of Wales. We are back. Molly McAleer and Tiffany Maddox. Welcome back to Trend Lightly. I'm Molly McAleer, and today I'm joined by someone I've just wanted to talk to forever. She's one of those people that if you're online, you see her and she just is into all the same things as me, but she's even better at it. Like you find stuff, Taylor. It's Taylor Lorenz, by the way, you guys. You find stuff that is like so, where do you get it? Like when you post your Instagram, those carousels, where do you find that shit? Oh my God. I don't know. My phone is like a black hole and I just have a lot of content and I go down a lot of rabbit holes, like probably a lot of people. I don't know. I spend a lot of time on TikTok, I guess. I love TikTok, dude. It's like the best app that's ever existed. It's so good. Yeah. I'm like fully addicted and plugged in. I can't. I I spend hours on it a day. It's a problem. (laughs) So I'm planning on getting new phones, like at least two, because I might be moving. I might sell my house and move. And that would mean I have a new internet connection. And so I could start, you know, like an ASMR, like without my face in it. You know, I could start because I'm, I think China hates me. Well, my... A relative of mine had an account where he just posted videos of Alaska with quotes over them. I think it was called like Alaskan quotes something. And it got pretty popular. 
That's so, awesome, babe. That's an that's an option too. Oh yeah, I could just like pages. film YouTube videos up close, like I'm there. Yeah. That'd be great. So listen, Taylor just wrote a book, Extremely Online, The Untold Story of Fame, Influence, and Power on the Internet. It is really, really good. I'm reading it right now. I'm on chapter 13. So there's things we've yet to discover for me. But so far, it's like so grip. I honestly, it's really gripping and it's really exciting. You hit so many of the marks for like my internet, as I call it, because truthfully, everyone does have a different internet. But Taylor tells like the story of the internet, where it all began. It is necessary if you're like, I know there's some 16 year olds who are involved with Taylor Swift stan culture that listen to this. You need to get this for your friends and their little sisters. Like it's very, very good. And Taylor, like I'm just I have so many things to ask you about later on when we get to the portion of how just, yeah, things that I'm like, fuck, like that's great. Like, I'm I'm so happy you mentioned Julia Allison, for example. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I know. I wanted to kind of dive back into history and like just tell the story of the rise of social media from the user side and through the lens of sort of like these content creators, early content creators, because I feel like all the other books about social media primarily tell this like sort of like social network version of social media where it's just very focused on like the tech founders and like the platforms themselves and not the people and like the culture. Mm-hmm. No, you're so right. It it really was refreshing, honestly, to hear about. Yeah, just so many things that I remember from the days in which I was extra extremely online. And yeah, I was very nostalgic this first half of the book so far. So yeah, I'm loving it. Can't wait to find out more. I'm at the baby. You just talked about baby Ariel, which is like when I have like a depressive episode, I have like several things I weirdly get into. And I think I was in a baby Ariel K-hole at one time. I don't know if you follow the account left for rat on Instagram, but she posts a lot of like old musically like deep cuts. Uh And I love it. Like I love the old baby Ariel ones because they're so... It was, it's just so like indicative of a certain time. And yeah, Ariel Martin, I talked to her a bunch for the book. She was, she's great. She's a really smart girl. Well, we can talk about that potentially even more. Some of your interviews in the privacy, which is what we call on the show when it means behind the paywall. So I would really want to hear all the tea. Okay. So let's get into our stories before. Yeah. Cause I just want to ask you so many questions. Mean Girls commercial being filmed this week with Lindsay Lohan, Amanda Seyfried, and Lacey Chabert. It's supposedly going to be a Pepsi Super Bowl commercial. What are your thoughts? Okay, I don't want to be a hater, but I feel like it's kind of like the peak, like, 2000s era nostalgia is jumping the shark a little bit, especially if it's going to be like a Super Bowl commercial. I'm kind of like, okay, we've done it. I don't know. I mean, I'm a huge Mean Girls fan. My book came out on Mean Girls Day, October 3rd. Mm -hmm. I just, I just don't, I don't know. I'm just like not excited by it that much. Maybe just because it's an ad. I'm like, okay. I don't know. How do you feel? Honestly, I'm going to be real. I'm kind of a hater too, but much like I feel like I'm happier for Joey Fatone right now than I am Mm -hmm. mad at Justin Timberlake. Much like that. I, I feel like I'm really happy for Lindsay 
the other girls, I'm kind of like, shame on you. I think Lacey Strabert kind of needs some money. But Amanda Seyfried, I'm like, how much are they paying them? Yeah. 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 Probably like millions. I mean, aren't Super Bowl commercials like $50 million? Like, aren't they like the most expensive thing? Not just to place them, but the way that they're filmed. Like, isn't that like half the year's budget? I'm pretty sure I say this (laughs) from like trying to pull on my knowledge from working in advertising for like one year after college. But I mean, they're really expensive. I feel like for for any brand that I mean, not like you said, not just to buy the ad space, but people usually go all out. And that's why the production value is so high. And they always have like big time celebrities. Yeah, I I, I think that I would say from a budgeting standpoint, I would say pull Seyfried. You don't need her. These yeah. two are enough. You know, I feel like you could have just done that to give you guys notes. But yeah, I think the Mean Girls thing is oversaturated and... It's a great movie, and that's why it's, like, a shame. It's because people love it so much that it's, like, played out. Yeah. I don't know. But I am happy for Lindsay to have a job, and, you know, she looks great. New mom, killing it. Secondly, okay, Doja Cat. So what are your, like, overall feelings about Doja Cat's internet behavior? She's deranged. (laughs) Like, she's... Crazy. I, I don't know. Like, she's just kind of off the wall. I, she, I, one thing I like, and I've been a Doja Cat fan for a long time. Like, I used to love her. I watched her, like, YouTube videos. Like, she, I liked that she was, like, a little bit provocative and, like, funny and a little bit of a troll. But lately, I don't know. Like, I think it rubbed me the wrong way when she was kind of fighting with her fans. I was like, come on, girl, like, relax. Like, you know, she seemed a little bit like, when, remember when she was like, don't, I can't remember what she said exactly, but it was like, she was basically like shitting on her fans and saying that she didn't want like a stand name or whatever, like for them. And I just, she's. Kittens. Yeah. <laughs> What's the name? That, yeah. But my feeling with this is like, she's online enough to know who Sam Hyde is, in my opinion. So why would you wear a shirt oh, like this? babe, this is 100% what happened like you know she knows who it is yeah that's what she i'm saying showing she's feet in racial chat rooms yeah she's she's like she's just being too much of a troll i think it sucks i don't like it and i'm just kind of like doja ugh. is this the only way that you can get attention like come on can we unpack a little bit who sam hyde is yeah I mean, he's like a he, podcast host that's a school shooter meme, right? Yeah, he he's like a he's basically like a extremist. He's like a comedian. He founded this like boxing thing. He's he's like I mean, I would call him kind of an influencer, kind of a YouTuber. He's just I mean, he says a bunch of like racist and homophobic and anti-Semitic stuff, and he's yeah. I mean, he's he's just he he gave money. Oh, he I forgot about that. When he gave money to the Daily Stormer. Do you remember that? The mm-hmm. neo-Nazi website. Yes. Yeah. I mean, like he's that I see keeps being called a Nazi. I listen, I love Doja. And when I honestly with the tiny chat thing, when she was caught in those chat rooms and you know, she continued to do it after and kept getting caught. I realized like while it's not my place to forgive. If it was, I would forgive personally because like it's so online and so habitual that it almost feels like it's her private addiction, but it is public 
but like it's a weird sick relationship she has with it and that comes from somewhere and i don't know but she's kind of like it sort of has whiffs of like intense red scare fans a hundred percent yeah also i don't think sam ever actually perpetuated a shooting he just kind of is like constantly associated with it. it's like kind of a meme to like attribute shootings to him yes because he said a bunch of violent rhetoric but yeah it to me it's just like anything for attention the red scare girls have gone down this road where like they're just so desperate for attention that they're like scraping the bottom of the barrel of like internet engagement like oh my god like let's go pose with alex jones like haha and it's like okay again it's just it's the bottom of the barrel. Like, come on, you guys should be better than this. Everyone should be better than this. Like, do you really have to be this much of a troll just to get like discourse? I mean, I guess it's working because we're talking about her, but I don't know. Did you see the recent, she was a little like moment on my personalized trending page where I guess like she tweeted, <laughs> she was in a fight with some guy. Like, I guess this guy was basically saying she's a fucking asshole. And at one point she responded to him and said like, he, is like a dumb f slur and she's happy that she's a christian or else she would say something like way worse and it was you know trending like i was like babe this is crazy like why that's so nuts to say out loud yeah yeah i mean doja cat's been on the wrong side of history for a lot of stuff i think she also was like Oh, no, I was talking about Dasha from Red Scare. Oh, you were talking about Dasha. Oh, my God. Yeah, I didn't know sorry. That. My bad. Sorry. <laughs> I was like, whatever, Dasha. I ADHD out all the time. So oh, Dasha, I, I can't even. I mean, she's so desperate at this point. It's just pitiful. Like, I think that they, I, I mean, look, when you're losing engagement, you're losing fans and you're losing relevance. Like, a lot of people, you know, they get very desperate and they turn to desperate measures to try to just like, keep in the conversation and you see them I mean I just have covered so many more influencers Jake Paul is another example of this right it's just like these people get so desperate with their declining relevance that they have to kind of like go to more and more extreme measures to try to stay in the news because at the end of the day they don't have anything fundamentally interesting and their fandom is sort of atrophying so yeah it's like they just have to be extreme and say dumb shit to get attention but fun that that doesn't it's not a good long-term strategy (laughs) Oh, no, 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 no. I think that it's she hates fame. I do. I think she she loves fame and she knows it's necessary. But I think she was she would probably 10 out of 10 times say that she was happier when she was just making music and like sort of skating by but had like a comfortable life. Are you talking about Doja? Doja. Yeah. I think, yeah, I, w- I was going to say, I think Dasha loves fame. I don't think she, I think she desperately wants it. Doja, yeah, I could totally believe that. I mean, she's definitely like maladjusted in certain ways because, I mean, look at how she's reacting to fame. I think fame and attention is really hard to handle for anybody. And I don't know. I, I saw people saying that she's kind of always done a lot of stuff. I'm not like f- super familiar with like the Doja Cat lore, but, but yeah. It's just kind of weird and gross. They worked her to death her first year. So I think that that is a little bit of a part of it. I think she's just burnt out and and weirded out and has too much money, probably, that she doesn't know what to do with. That's a confusing thing, you know? But, okay, let's get into this koala. Have you seen this koala before I put it, I showed it to you or... 
No, but I love him now. I'm pro the koala. It's so cute. So, like, there's this, I believe it's Japanese sanctuary for koalas. I think it's more, I sanctuary is absolutely not the right term. It's definitely a tourist place where you just go see animals. Don't you think? Yeah, this looks like a zoo. So, this koala... He has the most muscular body you've ever seen. He is like laid out. He's splayed out over these trees. And he looks like a very handsome man. Yeah. This koala is literally, (laughs) the way he's posing too is so funny. (laughs) He's posing like so chill. Like he's just like laying back in the tree with his leg up. Yeah, he's very handsome. So, guys, go watch that video. And just so you know, I put this in the main show because things are about to get dark later on. I'm going to be transparent about that. You might think, why are we talking about this hot koala? Well, the link is in the show notes so you can go see it. But two, things are going to start to get dark soon. So Olivia Wilde posted her Instagram story, this tweet from someone. And it's, it's going after Taylor Swift, which is wild. And it says, I wish Taylor Swift was in love with a climate scientist, (laughs) which is so like one, it's like a kind of lame, a lame joke. But two, why are all these celebrities commenting on this? I feel like Taylor's dating life is just like such a fascination for so many people on the internet. It's just like everyone has something to say, you know? I do. I mean, that's. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I, I do have like a, you know, the reason why this story is here is because I feel like I put my co-host through a lot about it. But I just, yeah, I just am a little surprised to see people put themselves out there like that. I get the bit. Everyone gets the bit what she's doing. But yeah, I just think it's weird to talk shit about people when you're that famous. There's that saying that if you're famous, you should never mention another famous person's name unless you're praising them. And I think that's actually good advice. No, it's true. Like, otherwise you are going to get in headline. Like, it's it's just going to be messy. Yeah, it's it's very much a rule and I'm so surprised by it. And then there was Julie Bowen in relation to Sofia Vergara's single life, how things are going post-divorce. She said in an interview... Her Instagram says it all. Sophia has always had such a wonderful family that surrounds her and wonderful friends. She doesn't need Taylor Swift to take her to a game. She's good, but I'm super happy that all these other girls are going to the games with T-Swifty. I wish she had been around for me. Like, this is the most insane quote I have ever fucking seen. (laughs) It's wild. Like, let's like, honestly, can we like get into it? Like, what is happening here? She's resentful about Taylor Swift not taking her a football game. Like, it would have been nice if she helped me. And I'm like, oh, my God, do they have like some deep relationship? But they absolutely don't even know each other. There's no reason. Also, why is it her responsibility? Like, no, (laughs) they don't. Is this also like a dig at Sophie Turner? Because I feel like it is. Because she's the only single one who was at the game. like, Or yeah. is she like an Olivia Rodrigo stan? I don't know. But the thing is, Sophie is friends with Taylor, right? Like, they've been friends for a while. Yeah. No. So, like, I think that... But Sophie Turner is going through d- the divorce. Yeah, 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 yeah. she went to the game, she's maybe just right. like... But, yeah, I don't know. 
I don't know. What do you think about that whole situation, by the way, and how it's played out online? The Sophie Turner stuff? Yeah. That I mean, it overwhelmingly I, went in her favor. I think it just backfired on Joe Jonas so much because the whole like PR scheme was so transparent. Yeah. And it, by the way, it's like, in some ways I curse people. I call them Dumois University students who were like PR, PR. I'm like, no, I like, like you're in QAnon. Like, <laughs> I don't think, but yeah. I do think that there was that flurry of negative press about her that really galvanized her fan base. Like there was the flurry of negative press, like right after the, like sort of the announcement. And I think that just like galvanized her fan base and like made everyone sort of like be on her side also because I just think like everyone's a little bit tired of the Jonas brothers too. Like mm -hmm. they are ripe for kind of like a takedown almost, you know, like they've had their resurgence, they're back on tour. Like, I, I think there was like some sort of pent up, you know, when there's like the energy around certain famous people is changing where you're like, you've had too much good press lately. Like people want to, there's like, people want to like release yeah. the like frustration, you know, like there, there has to be the other side of it. And I think, yeah. And everybody likes, I mean, Sophie seems very like beloved. I think the tipping point might've been that conversation where Danielle was on a podcast or something and said she felt overshadowed by her famous sister-in-laws and then things just got karmically worse from them from there like it just really over a couple of weeks it blew up for joe jonas but it's it is interesting that people know now like these bad stories especially on the heels of like depp and heard like this was the probably most recent time where i saw some lady being believed yeah you know or being like, this guy's behavior is outrageous. But yeah, do you have any thoughts on Taylor Swift's dating life? No, other than I just, I'm like, I mean, I like care, I pay attention, but I'm like, we'll see what happens, you know? If she wants you, to date Travis Kelsey, it's like, meh, okay, whatever, you know? What do you think about like this aversion to reading more than like three or four sentences on social media came from like because it feels like it started probably about i would say i think i first started to really see it around like 2016 or so but the thing where it's like that's too long i'm not reading all that like <laughs> yeah but good I mean, for I, you yeah i just think nobody reads anything it's like that's why People can barely make it through a TikTok. Like our attention spans are so destroyed. Yeah, they are. They really are, and it scares me. I think about how well I would do on my own if I was put on a desert island. But truthfully, if I didn't have my phone or internet, I well, just internet. Like generally, if that's if I didn't have that, I would probably KMS within yeah. like a week because I just this is what I know. I would be bored out of my mind. When did you like get addicted to the internet? When I got on Tumblr in 2009. Okay, so what was your Tumblr situation? I was addicted to Tumblr. I was like obsessed with Tumblr. I had so many Tumblrs. That was like, do you remember the era I talk about in my book of like the single serving Tumblr era where you would make kind of like theme Tumblrs, like the fuck yeah, whatever. I actually had, so I had stoner party. So I don't know if you know this, Taylor, but you're actually speaking to, I know you mentioned Ned Hepburn in your book. Yeah. You're actually speaking to the boner party, second, second awards, newcomer boner of the year. Oh my God. Yes. And <laughs> the, 
best boner, like boner of the year was um, wound up being my business partner years later, Zoe Deschanel. But yeah, no, it was it was a time. And I had also so I had stoner party and I also had fuck yeah juggalos. Oh, my God. I think I followed the fuck yeah juggalos. Yeah, I love I love juggalos. Yeah, I went to the their protest at, at Capitol Hill in 2017. I can't remember what they were protesting for, but yeah, they're amazing. I love them. I'm very pro juggalo as well. They're wonderful people. That's exa- okay. So I really do generally, Taylor. I don't like journalism about juggalos, but the yeah. fact that you are a juggalo enjoyer means a lot to me because I I feel like so many people think they're better than the juggalos, and I'm like, you fucking wish you had a community like a juggalo, you know? A hundred percent. They have Bam more. Has like- your back? Uh yeah. Also, remember like. During the early days of COVID, they like they did so much like community care for each other. Like the Juggalos are just a wonderful, powerful community. So I was following like a Juggalo on TikTok, very er- wicked clown. And I was following very early on in the pandemic, like literally March 13th, downloaded TikTok and just watched it in fear for like a year and a half. And wicked clown posted that he was thinking about stopping his trucking job. And he got a stitch from an or like a response from another juggalo who was checking him and saying like you're so important right now you're driving things to people who need them like i'm disappointed in you man and like it really was he was absolutely giving him a dad speech and wicked clown then duetted that like crying and nodding like as he gave off these points about how wicked clown just needs to and like he's so vulnerable you know and i just i there i you know too many people don't get it but taylor what are your favorite tiktok accounts real quick oh god well recently i've been down that hole of the evelyn get ready with me you know that girl but I don't even know. I mean, I I like a lot of like weird ones. Like I go down a lot of holes and it kind of depends on the the week. I'm trying to think what I've been watching recently. Let me go on my TikTok and see. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, 
Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm so bad. This is how my memory is like so fried. It's because I'm like, and just so you know, like you can get as dark as you want. Like Tiffany and I always say that our favorite people to follow on TikTok are like mentally ill gay people. And like that is just the truth. Like, especially teenagers, you know, we love like a mentally ill gay teen. Like during COVID, when all those people were doing groupie sock vacations, that was such a peak of TikTok for me because they were. The most human posts and also so refreshing because people were being honest about something like mental health. But also it's crazy that mental health conversations have come that far. Yeah, it was a wild ride. So you can't say anything offensive here. Yeah, I like I mean, I I love like the couples ones. I'm on a I'm on a scroll right here. There's this account. It's actually on Instagram. But I like I think like I try to find TikToks that would go well on this one but do you know the instagram account crisis acting no oh my god my favorite instagram account it's crisis.acting and this account is just like the weirdest compilation of videos from like around the world i don't know how to describe it It has a very sort of specific aesthetic to it like if you follow and watch the videos you kind of like you can recognize like a crisis acting video it's the, it's so good and i love the tiktoks that remind me of that account where it's like a peek into like a weird world that i would never see and it's not an influencer account like it's just like some person's random video like you know how you get those on your for you page sometimes they're like the algorithm's testing if it's engaging and it'll have like two likes or like no views yet you know oh, that's my favorite those are I the found, ones i, I love. found a lot of yeah i found a lot of really interesting people that i just adore like and they're but like they're crazy like it's a it's like a glimpse into any sort of life that you would never have and that's what i think is so incredible about it yeah i i'm loving that so we got to get into this person on tiktok who's not so great He's in a he's in a weird place right now with the community which by the way is always so interesting to me when like the actual whole like it seems like the whole of TikTok gets involved with with a drama sort yeah. of situation. Can I ask your thoughts on wombs womblands? Oh my god. I forgot about that one. Sorry. Oh <laughs> that I mean well, that that who um who was the main person's name? They were modern like modern warrior or uh, no, Ch- not modern. It's me, the, Chelsea. Something. It's me, Chelsea. You'd, with a short hair, right? The one that was yeah. accusing modern warrior. Like she just like totally like got her ass handed to her because she was like, I mean, she tried to cancel modern warrior, and then like everyone really came for her. And I just have a hard time taking anybody seriously with with that's crying with like the ring light in their eyes. It's like, 
come on, you know what you're doing right now. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I, yeah. But I followed like every bit of it. So I have a few, I have a few different people that I follow that if they, or like types of people that I follow that if they cry, it's okay. Because I feel like I understand their emotion. But then there's people who cry where I'm like, if they're an annoying person, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. Like, I'm furious. And then when you go to, it's me, Chelsea's page, Chelsea Hart, I think. When you go to her page, she's literally the, like, the most annoying type of human being that could exist on the internet. Like, it's very Green Brothers coded for me. Like, it's very, that's like my beef, by the way. Wait, you have beef you with know? the Green Brothers? No, I didn't know that. No, like they don't know about it or anything. I just don't like, especially when you started to talk about the station, the YouTube oh, clubhouse, yes. which yes. we'll talk about in a minute. I started to get mad because like the whole thing was dudes. Oh, and like that's don't even get so me started. How, that's yeah. so like I honestly, Trisha Paytas is has had a lot of scandals. But so has a lot of massive YouTubers. And I feel like she's always been, you know, sort of exiled from YouTube opportunities. The brand doesn't want anything to do with her. And I just know that decision was made by a boardroom full of men. Of because course. Because there's no one who loves Trisha Paytas more than, like, the girls and the gays. And they they themselves are just, yeah, it's uh, it's this weird bias. I think that the Green Brothers have it, whether they realize it or not. And that's why they're responsible for Tanacon. Yeah. I yeah. think Philip DeFranco has it because like there's certain people he, but like there's a very early era of internet misogyny that I feel like changed what the landscape looks like. And it's why we're all these years later finally getting content that a lot of people can enjoy. I wish, time. yeah, Molly, there was so much. First of all, I had a bunch about TanaCon, uh, which I was at in the original no, draft of the, the book. No, shut the fuck up, Taylor. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. I I bought the merch as soon as it was happening because I probably was seeing your tweets reporting on it. Yeah, yeah. I was out in the sweltering sun. But my original, yeah, the I mean, the original draft of the book was 158,000 words, but at TanaCon, I think it's still mentioned and stuff, but I, I went a little bit deeper in the draft originally. And then also, just you're mentioning sort of that early YouTube misogyny. One person I spoke to extensively for the book was Ingrid Nielsen. I don't know if you remember her. She's yes. dating Hannah Hart. Yeah, she was this sort of like early YouTube vlogger. And, oh, no, um, Taylor, I'll makeup. tell you. Yeah. One time early, like way long ago, I was at like a work thing and I opened my laptop and Ingrid Nielsen's coming out video started playing and I was like dude I don't I was I just was following a YouTube hole last <laughs> night like I'm not really watching this like you know young woman 11 years ago or whatever come out yeah. so but yeah no that video was iconic Oh, she she was such a pioneer. She's an incredible person. Like I would back her to the ends of the earth, although she's not really making much content as much anymore. She's a candle company. But but you know, I, I talked to her and a lot of other women from those early YouTube days about kind of you know, just like what you mentioned, that male-dominated atmosphere and specifically early VidCon experiences. And yeah, I mean that that it's always been this very like kind of misogynistic culture a lot of the youtube humor too from like the early 2010s it's just like 
haha, let's laugh at this woman or like, let's just like say a bunch of misogynistic stuff. And that's funny. Or like even like Logan Paul, like lassoing women on Venice Beach and like forcing them to kiss him. And that was like comedy. Yeah, it's all it was very like, what the fuck is the joke? Yeah, the joke is just misogyny. It's just misogyny. It's there's it's like and obviously there was so much racism and other problematic shit, too. But of course, no. Yeah. Yeah, it's I yeah, it's infuriating but that's the one thing i agree i kind of i I mean the thing that i like about tiktok and the internet now is like everyone has a bit more of a voice and i do think that there's more pushback like when somebody does something bad like people are on it you know whereas in youtube it was like there was just a lot of bad behavior that like okay maybe some people posted some tweets but like not everyone had a platform in the same way Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah i agree with you you're that's like that's super insightful and very true. But yeah, yeah, there's there's a bro culture. I will tell you though, I love Mr. Beast. I don't care, <laughs> I don't care what he's doing. Like I think he's great. He's he's redeemed himself a little bit if, to me. I, I don't I I don't mind him either. He's fine. I mean, he makes entertainment for children and I get people you know, hate on his videos and he's like whatever. You know, he's he's making content for 9-year-olds. Like that's why you don't like his content. It's for children. But yeah, yeah 9-year-olds and Molly McAleer. <laughs> he's funny. I I yeah, I'm I'm totally neutral on him. I I got back from Greenville. I did a story recently where we went and sort of wrote about the economic impact he's had on his town and like that really does why I do like a lot. Him. Yeah, he does I'm- a lot. Like, to yeah. be able to change a region of the country or, like, you know, like, it's, he puts so much fucking money into not just his town, but, like, literally the whole state. Like, yeah. it's really crazy the way he does that. And I just, uh, yeah, like, he's changing lives. And I, I know people have a problem with it because it's exorbitant and, like, it does seem like some of his, I don't think his his things are intense as they seem like that guy he allegedly has living in a grocery store has probably not really been living in the grocery store oh no like, i think he's been living in the grocery store i i think it's like my thing with his his content is like I, it, a lot of people are reacting to sort of like the conditions of it rather that like it's more like when he fixed people's eyesight or whatever right it's like oh so you're not just gonna like like you're just gonna exploit people for views or whatever and it's like well no i mean like Yes, I think what people wanted is for him to like change the system. And he's not changing the system. He's a YouTuber, right? He's not a politician. He's not an exactly, activist. Exactly. 100%. And it's like, oh, I guess like the worst thing that happened is like a hundred new, like people have new eyes. They have a new opportunity, a new shot at life. And like, should those people have to rely on a YouTuber's generosity to get that? No. But whatever, you know, he's it's not whatever. That's That's a structural problem. But like, he himself is like pretty harmless i think with most of his stuff and and he's done a lot i I will say he does a lot offline like that's the one thing i realized from going to greenville like he does a lot for people not for clout as well you know and so i i think he seems like a decent guy yeah i mean yeah good for him i in my mind i get it but people i feel like there's a fundamental misunderstanding about the law there (laughs) like like kind of i'm like why this bitch is trending because he gave 100 people eyesight or because he had this probably incredibly safe experience reenacting the squid games which is like not even a problem with 
the creator of it, like, what's the big deal? Like, that was probably very fun for most people. Oh, the Squid Game thing, totally. Like, I think that's a great, a brilliant idea. And, like, it's funny. I think, again, it's, like, he is kind of this reflection of this, like, hyper-capitalist, like, world that we live in. And so I think, like, because he's kind of this, like, reflection of that, like, people get very angry at him. But I think he's more just a product of the world. And if you – I think people – they don't so much have a problem with him. They have a problem with this like system where people have to rely on YouTubers, you know, for money to live or whatever. And uh, yeah, he's pretty harmless. His content is children's. It's like stunts for children. It's relatively fine. And yeah, I don't have a problem with him as long as he's treating his workers well. Yeah. I mean, that's what, I, yeah, that's what I agree. I think, I think he blows through employees really quickly, yes. like writers especially. And I guess people don't like him for that, but like as someone who freelanced for years, like companies don't give a shit about you when they're making content. Like if you're a freelance writer for Mr. Beast, like it's a gig, you know, but it's not, you can lose it any minute. Yeah. I mean, that's true for like any job, right? Like, yeah. 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 He does have an intense work environment, but you know, it's that's his prerogative. Well, yeah. you know, he's got to create the best videos. He's okay. He's got to make it. Yes. <laughs> so, okay. I pulled one of our stories that I was going to put into the show and I put it in the afters because I have a lot to get to with you about your book, but I want to know. So you have been following the whole toxic gossip train, correct? Of course. Yes. Where were you when that happened and what was your what was your reaction? What was your feeling? Like, where were, yeah, tell me. I had no, well, I know Adam McIntyre from Cat Ten Barge because they're friends. And Same, yeah. So I had met Adam, I can't remember if I met him in person before or after, but I, whatever, I had known Adam for a while at this point. And I, it was back in like 2020 when he originally started posting about Colleen. And I remember that like wave because remember he like started posting about her and then people kind of like attacked him for it. And then it kind of died down a little bit and then it all like came back to a head more recently. And so I just remember like originally seeing that stuff and being like, "Hmm, that's pretty fucked up. But it wasn't until all of it resurfaced that I actually started watching. I think because it was all on TikTok, those clips, actual clips from her shows. Uh, Yeah. And I was like, what? Like, this is wild. Like when she has the kids like put their hands down her pants and I'm like pretty like liberal about like you know there's a lot of weird kids entertainment again that's it's not made for adults but this is not that this is just like highly inappropriate and I always had a problem with her content specifically because she's basically her whole shtick is just like pretending to be developmentally disabled like Mm -hmm. that's that's her whole joke is like what if I was you know a disabled person it's like okay that's not that funny at all and then to see kind of, yeah, like just these clips from her shows, I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, it's it's been incredibly illuminating. And I think part of it for me is like the number of people who are involved mm-hmm. in all of this, like how the f- whole family basically has a kind of fucked up relationship with the Internet because we have Colleen Ballinger's sister rachel who seems to have an inappropriate relationship with jojo yeah that started when she was let's just say under 18 and like truthfully it's it's deeply uncomfortable 
honestly, considering I don't, I get Jojo. I love you, babe. Like I really do. I love Jojo, but it's just, she's so young and she's so brainwashed about her own situation. It's awful. But then there's also the Ballinger family and there are also like fringe family members that basically don't show up often, but they do from time to time. So one of Colleen's, it's by the way, I'm not pronouncing that wrong. It's Colleen. One of Colleen's siblings is uh, named Trent. He's the middle brother and he was born with a condition that made him deaf. Not completely, but enough that he got like a cochlear implant and it was life-changing. And he doesn't really like to appear on camera, allegedly. And now I'm wondering if that's not really why we don't know much about Trent. But he doesn't he doesn't appear to be on camera. Part, he was involved in this whole thing because it turned out that he was one hundo P, the most classic example of grooming that I've seen recently. Yeah. And so whole thing went silent a little bit. Then Colleen's older brother, who's a family vlogger, where there's weirdness there. They haven't said anything, but they've been vlogging the whole time. Same with her sister, Rachel. And finally, the other night, out of nowhere, Jessica Ballinger decided to start responding to some comments on her YouTube video. And people were saying basically like, what do you have to say about Ollie? And Ollie was the kid who was groomed by Trent. And she responds to them out of nowhere, breaking her silence, so to speak, because she I guess she has been like minimally featured. I, I've just figured that out from reading the Reddit and trying to follow this whole thing. She writes, I absolutely support anyone with incriminating info to bring it to the authorities. There is personal nuance as to his level of de- developmental delay which he has always kept private, but is much more than known publicly. And I feel awful for even sharing that. But he's not someone that I've had contact with or will have my kids have contact with since learning about his behavior several months ago. We also discussed with the kids at their varying levels of understanding and asked if they ever experienced something similar with him, which they had not. So yes, I think anyone with evidence of any crimes should, of course, bring it to the authorities to be investigated And I personally do not have that evidence, but from what has been shared, I can use an abundance of personal caution with my kids and make choices accordingly. I'm sad for Ollie, who has always been a sweet, genuine person who shouldn't have had that emotional burden at that age. And she knows Ollie's a sweet, genuine person because she was in group chats with this 12-year-old. Yeah, that's disturbing. So what do you think of this? Like, this statement, first of all, And like the implications here, because he was in the vlogs and would go to the live shows enough that really like Colleen potentially knew. He said something about how his family told him not to talk to fans online that were under 18. Yeah. So do you think they've known? I don't know. It's hard to know. And it's like also it's just like you don't know with families like what – like there's so many interpersonal family dynamics and secrets being kept and just like who kn- we will probably never know who knew what or what they knew. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, no. Yeah, it's it's weird. This whole thing has been very one I feel guilty reading it. 
because yeah. it's like about a family and it's like so gross and so disordered like it's like a re- it's a really dark thing to talk about but I haven't been able to turn away from it a little bit do you have not like a mental health diagnosis but do you have like a diagnosis on Colleen what do you think's going on with her I she, she seems very troubled I mean I I really think that her brain has been super warped by the internet and I think she's lost perspective on things I mean, I think the apology was the most misguided thing I've ever seen. Like the song, the toxic Mm -hmm. gossip train thing. Like she pulled out the ukulele. I was like, oh no. I think she needs a lot of therapy and I think probably time away from the internet because she also needs to look back at her jokes and her behavior and really take stock of it. Again, the whole character, like even outside of this stuff, the whole character of like of Miranda Sings is, is... bad and and offensive in so many ways you know and it just i just think that character needs to stop and like it there was a lot of inappropriate stuff and now vlogging her kids too that was just a whole other can of worms like don't do that (laughs) like by the way i don't i haven't guys there there has to be a family vlogger situation in your book right i mean i know i haven't gotten there but yeah you're talking family vloggers right i mentioned yeah like daddy05 and some of these other um, family vloggers yeah daddy05 shook my life it's so crazy i don't know if you saw the kids have like a spinoff youtube channel now some of the brothers they have like the spinoff channel and they like say their parents were wronged it's really weird i mean that era of like prank videos a lot of family vloggers basically terrorize their own children on camera and continue to do things like that. I'm not against like certain family, like, like I think that there's a way to ethically include children in content. And I don't think that you necessarily never have to show your kid on camera or whatever, if you are a popular vlogger, but I think that we really need a lot more sort of rules around it and norms around privacy. And we don't have any of that. And it's a huge problem. Absolutely. Well, can I say something about like the family vlog stuff? Because I've been writing about the state legislation lately that's that's aimed at protecting children on family vlog channels, like the the bill that passed last month in Illinois. And now there's similar bills in Washington State and Pennsylvania and Maryland, like basically saying that kids under the age of 18 are entitled to a portion of their, their, their YouTube earnings if they're featured on family vlogs. I'm 100% for that. Like, I think that's great. That's how it should have been from the beginning. Like, we need national legislation because none of this state legislation is actually going to be enforceable but like yes if you're on a family vlog channel like until you're 18 you deserve money for that however i think it's like there's a lot of like vitriol towards like moms specifically for putting their kids on the internet and while i think a lot of parents need to have better boundaries it's like the tip of the iceberg like these tech companies harvest so much data on children and mm-hmm. there's this entire like data broker industry that like builds you know profiles of kids online before they even are out of the womb right like and a lot of that content ends up online also schools i mean i found all these preschools with like public instagram accounts and public facebook pages where they're it's uploading wild. photos and videos of kids what about ki- children's sports leagues which put all their like highlight videos on youtube and like there's kids information about kids scores and like classrooms have blogs and vlogs like it's just there's so much content about kids on the internet and kids have such a robust 
online presence by the time they're like, you know, out of elementary school now that it's like, don't just focus on the parents because I think parents often get villainized for it. And it's like, even if you eliminate every family vlog channel ever, like you still have this massive surveillance, like infrastructure around all of us, but especially kids. And we just need more data privacy and privacy in general for the internet. So with mommy vloggers, what do you think is, and I know you're right, it is skewed. And also mommy vlogger even implies that the child doesn't have a parent, another yeah. parent. And it's like, they definitely do almost like nine times out of 10. And um, I, my thing with that is like, they're not being checked by their, the other parent. What do you think the motivation is for mommy vloggers? Cause I have, I'm of like many minds, but one well, being, I think they literally are obsessed with their kid and they love the validation and they love the thing that they love the most being loved. I also think, and they don't even like, they know that maybe some creepy people are watching it, but they they just like, you know, they appreciate people appreciating their kids. Very like narcissistic like, in that way. But again, like the majority, the vast, vast, vast majority of kids of content featuring children on the internet is children putting themselves on the internet kids putting themselves on the internet often way before they turn 13. that's yeah. the majority of kids content it's not mommies putting their kids online that is a small portion of it the majority of it is kids you know believing these tech companies bullshit that they're selling of like you be a content creator like they you know it's like they're socialized to all want to be influencers as soon as they can mm -hmm. get a phone, they want to put themselves online because of all this propaganda 24 seven from like, you know, the tech companies and the fact that a lot of them are raised on YouTube, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, I agree with you. Like, I think a lot of these moms are sometimes looking for validation. Sometimes they're providing like harmless content, whatever. But the much bigger problem is that kids, the second that they, you know, have access to a phone will begin putting themselves on the internet. And that's the majority of kids content online. So like, I think, again, it's like this much bigger structural system. And I think that lately there's been this like media narrative that's like very against like women. And again, villainizes mothers without looking at the bigger problem. I feel you. I feel you. And that's a really good point. Can I ask really quick off the whole fetish thing? And I think like I, I think it's a fetish, you know, like people who like kids yeah. like seeing them hurt and do you think that that was partially responsible for that boom of that trend where people would be like my kid almost got killed at the pool and they'd show like an ambulance in the background i i'm wondering if like you think that that was almost catering to a certain fetish or if you think it was like kids, I used to call them danger, danger stories. I always wanted to hear stories about like the most dangerous thing my mom can tell me, which was like kidnapping or something. And so I, I want to know, what do you think that was? With I, the, like kids. Being yeah, I think it was. I think it's the, more of the danger and the intrigue and the like danger and drama and death or like, you know, scary thing. It's like those things are always going to get like more engagement. And yes, like some people like to see like kids hurt, but I think a lot of it is just like the drama of it all, like leading to views and people being like, oh, what? Like what? You know what I mean? Like it just, it's, it's just inherently more compelling 
Absolutely. Unfortunately. I feel you. No, because you're right. Like the twin thing went viral where people would like put their kid in the mirror and film it like they had a twin. And then yeah. the um baby relationships were like baby Justin Bieber and ba- baby Haley Bieber. Yeah. That was yeah. very strange. Very strange. Okay, Taylor. So I want to get into the book. I'm loving it. Like you've hit so many notes for me. It's just, it's beyond. And like some of the things that you talked about, especially in this first part is like a little triggering because like I lived all those things and I can, well, except for the beginning of the internet, but I lived a lot of that. And I, it's just so many memories. It's like a memory sandwich. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you really lived a lot of it. I wanted to write it in a way that felt like anybody that's kind of been online for the past like 20 years would like remember moments or like sort of revisit things. But yeah, it's amazing. So I want to ask you some, okay, off the dome, we got to talk about Deuce. I was very critical of her about eight months before she passed about that yeah, trans I know, blog. I know. Yeah. Do you she know be- that? Because I, people have told me that I'm responsible, partially responsible for the unfortunate situation. No. Well, you definitely were not responsible for, you know, what ultimately happened to her, but I, no, I mean, it was hard. I, I think she, you know, it's weird. I, I talked to other women from that era, like other mommy sort of bloggers and stuff who also actually unfortunately became very transphobic. I think like some of those women dealt with such an insane level of misogyny that they it almost broke their brains a little bit. And, and they kind of ended up having these really sort of hostile views towards trans people and trans women specifically. And I know, I mean, I know what she started writing more recently and stuff, and she struggled a lot. But, you know, my book sort of doesn't get into that the recent stuff as much. It talks more about like her sort of role as a pioneer back in the early 2000s. And I know, honey, I was happy for you that <laughs> I know this sounds awful, but I was happy for you that you were able to get that in before yeah. it was too late. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's sad. I, I mean, it's just like it's tragic and a lot of women from that era had tragic ends in in different ways i mean not that a lot of them are still around but like or run off the internet or like dealt with just such obscene levels of misogyny They, they were scared to even be like named in my book because they didn't want like that hate machine sort of turned towards them again. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of these women are still like, com- they've become completely private citizens in some cases for over a decade. And yet they have these like snark communities that like stalk them still to this day. They have not produced, you know, no, it's crazy. And it's like, it's so upsetting. And I've dealt with that on a much more micro scale. And it's like literally so upsetting. It's like so upsetting because yeah. it's like, Fuck. And I know you also like, honey, as I would say with our friend Meredith Lynch, who actually connected us, you're a bit of a shit stirrer. Like you've gotten a lot of hate yourself online. Like how like how many people were you beefing with at one point? Like definitely Ben Shapiro for sure. Right. Oh, yeah. All those people. I mean, all those people. And I don't care, by the way, at all. Like I literally cover influencers for a living. Like I said earlier, like there's always someone mad at me on the Internet. There's always some fandom that I've like pissed off. And that's fine. It's totally part of my job. I think what's hard is like 
I have like a very separate, like for me, it's like work life. You know what I mean? And I keep my personal life off the internet and like, it's not personal. Like these are women that like we're sharing, like, and I feel this is why I think it's hard for influencers too, like of all sorts. It's like, they're sharing like so much of their lives. So when people come at them, it feels like very personal, you know? And I think, yeah, it's just hard for some of them to deal with. But yeah, I mean, some of those early mommy bloggers like really changed the game. And, you know, no matter what you think of Heather and, and what she ultimately like a lot of her views. because I, I loved her for so long. Like the day her divorce was announced, I felt so affected as if I was like 22 and my parents who I knew weren't getting along got divorced where it was like I didn't cry. But like, I definitely was like, fuck, like my heart was mad heavy because like I was so I was reading her before she got Chuck. I don't want to say this and have some person steal my movie idea. But for years, I've wanted to write a movie about Kiki Cannibal because I read that Rolling Stone piece that like sort of covered her abuse. And I was just like, this is, people don't realize, like, this is an internet story. And I remember bringing it to people that I was working with at the time and being like, there's a story. I really think that this is a movie. And they were like, but where's, like, the, where's the story? And I'm like, this is a story. And, like, now that A24, for example, exists, like, this would absolutely be, I think, a movie. But... I'm just, yeah, I've always thought this story was one of the most interesting hype. Like, just it had so many different sections of the internet involved in it that are so niche, but also it was such a common thing. Do you, okay, so let's, what are your thoughts on Kiki Cannibal? Do you yeah. mind summarizing it a little for people? Let me just summarize what happened to her. Basically, she was this like young, teen that blew up on MySpace. If if you Google her, you'll sort of remember what she looked like. She had this very distinctive like sort of look. She was part of that like emo kind of era. And she was viciously harassed specifically by this website, Sticky Drama, because it was sort of for drama on, I think the website was called Sticky Cam. It was like a live streaming website, but yeah. Yeah. She was terrorized basically by some of the worst communities on the internet. And ultimately kind of retreated and now doesn't engage very much at all with the internet. Yeah. I'm very interested in like her whole thing because it's just such a special story, even like aesthetically it's its own story. And I just think that it needs to be told on like a bigger level. I I, like there was something so appealing about her. Do you know where it was just like, wow, this is so She's so easy to look at. She has such a cool style. She's um, like, she really was like an influencer. And yeah, I, d- I just have always thought that Kiki deserves to have her story told. I'm saying. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, a lot of the book, the whole sort of first half of the book is like women and being like, look at what the internet did to these women. I mean, there's there's a lot. There's a lot of MySpace girls. I mean, obviously it gets into women later on too and people like Baby Ariel, but I think those mice, there were so many women from the MySpace era that were like trivialized and harassed. And also just like that whole generation of influencers was, were not recognized as influencers. They were sort of, they were called like fame whores and attention whores. No, I know. I think I was, I was part of that. Like I, cause I was on a much smaller scale, like a public figure that was very transparent about my life. And I like did these daily videos for Gawker 
which really like sort of put me out there. And when I say to that to this day, there's still people who have beef with me about the random, most random things. Like, it's like so, it's so fucking upsetting. Like, it really is. It's so upsetting. And same with my co-host. She was like an early YouTube person. And she also like had a, she had a Facebook group about her where they would just shit talk her and it was very dark it was the whole thing was very dark and i can't imagine what these girls went through yeah so let's go to julia allison which is where i want to end the show today we're going to get into more in the privacy on the afters but julia allison is someone that like truthfully julia on the 100 off chance you're listening to this this is molly mcalear i don't know if you remember we have like we have exchanged messages and texts before many years ago and i fully need to and i've said things like this before about you and how you like created something that is it you were the blueprint and it's really hard to show up early to the party i truthfully super owe you an apology just because even in even in a slight way even though i wasn't like a active person on reblogging donk and like in continuing into the other years where it started to be about like Kamala Debbie and stuff like I I literally I apologize for even taking that in I feel so bad when it first started on tumblr it was I'm sorry really funny and I feel almost in some ways the way that they intellectually met you at the table was like it should be an honor honestly in some ways if you're gonna have a hater you should have someone who writes as poetically as they do about you but i i yeah i'm sorry like i definitely contributed just as part of the gawker machine as part of the tumblr community i definitely probably wrote some shitty shit about you in a day or like snarky stuff you know i'd bury it in a blog post but it was like mean. So yeah, you got to actually interview Julia. I've been feeling sentimental about her for like quite some time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think she has a wild story and she was, I mean, as I argue in the book, one of the first sort of true multi-platform content creators, influencers, the fact that she could literally pay her rent in New York City alone for a one bedroom just through influencing in like 2008 is such an achievement and she really pioneered a lot and i know a lot of people think she's annoying or narcissistic or whatever i think i would challenge them to really think hard about why you feel that way because i think a lot of it is ultimately like the way that she was framed in the media and absolutely um, i found her to be a very self-aware kind of self deprecating funny person and she's a little bit of a troll like sometimes you know like she'll poke back but she's smart she's extremely smart and you know i she yeah i i don't know i i think she deserved vindication because i think even if you hate her the misogynistic hate campaign that was levied against her by the media specifically was just so out of control i mean i cite it in the book there's literally a fast company article titled Julia yeah. Allison colon breasts aren't enough. Like, it's just ridiculous. It was insane. It was insane. And I think that, you know, when Gawker first came upon Julia Allison, total massage, like literally, truthfully, total misogyny. I mean, it was just also that in the face of everything, Julia was so girly. 
She almost didn't belong with the like street urchins and like the really snappy, fantastic writers that she was going up against. But she created a moment for herself. And yeah, I I, it was um, it was brutal. It was brutal. Did she talk at all about like, is there anything you can disclose that maybe isn't in the book about how? dark it got because oh I mean very dark very dark and I think it's you know you mentioned too about like how girly she is and I think like hyper feminine women generally are always kind of held to a higher standard and a higher bar like I mean I've thought about this a lot just as a tech journalist because it's like you cannot present too feminine or you're sort of immediately disregarded right and I think it's notable that there are not many, you know, hyper feminine women in the tech world because it's like you can't be. And I don't know, Julia, Julie, every single thing that Julia predicted came true. And it's shocking, especially as somebody that covers the tech industry, like to see somebody be so prescient and so smart and so out of their time and to reread the stuff that she predicted back then about tech and media. I don't know. She like I think she should have been a venture capitalist or something, you know, and instead she was like, I mean, she suffered deep trauma and, and mental health costs over it. I mean, I don't, I don't think people understood what they did to her. It was really, really brutal. I like, there was no cutoff. Like, that's what it was. Is that like, I think snark when it really first started, there was like a, we're not going to go there. There was like a they'd go almost everywhere, but there there was like rules like you didn't want to be a snarker that was like just fucking nasty. And I think that. Whatever, I think that her and Gomi, which is crazy because I knew Alice when she first started and we were like, okay, like we were cool, like we were actually cool. And the day that I launched hello giggles a fucking article about me was up there and i was like oh my god like it's over like this is crazy and i i am surprised when i go to alice's ig when it's unlocked that she is kind of doing julia allison cosplay is she really? I haven't looked at it recently. She wears ball gowns. She goes to galas. She oh, donates seen that. to the opera. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. these are all the things that everyone made fun of Julia for. And I know that low key, like Alice, that was never something she hid is that like she wanted to be famous. And that's also something I never hid, you know, like I was like, yeah, I'm going to like do big things with my life. And I didn't know what, and I had undue confidence, but like I did figure out a a thing before I like pulled myself away from it very much intentionally. And like, that was, it's just interesting to see. It's just interesting to see that trajectory for Alice. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, it was ultimately like Julia wasn't doing anything out of the ordinary you know, for a lot of young women in, in in New York City. And she was just kind of living her life. And I mean, she, again, she she would poke fun, but like her original sin against Gawker was literally just like promoting the link to her blog in the comment section, something that like every single person does on the internet now, you know, it's just like- Oh yeah, but it's no, this, absolutely. It's, I mean, there's this, there's this whole sentiment towards women for their entire 2010s. 
And actually, I mean, it continued even further on, especially from the men in the Silicon Valley. But it was like the subtext on everything is like, who do you think you are? Like, who do you, non-famous woman with an audience and internet power, think you are, you know, to promote yourself? Like, how dare you have confidence in yourself? Or how dare you seek attention or seek fame or seek power on the internet? And it, just, and it's, it ended up being sad. It's toxic. It's crazy because then, you know, we smash cut to like the toxic white man who has like taken down Julia Allison online, getting his book deal and smirking in his author picture. Like that's exactly what it is. Like all yeah. of these people that hated on her would be fucking thrilled to have a version of that. And I, you know, I think this punishment stage that happens is one 1000% about them being threatened. And I know that might sound ridiculous to some, but like she just got to the party too early and there's, I can't hate on that truthfully. No. All right, you guys. So this is the main show for Trying Lightly. Taylor and I are going to do a little bonus show and on the afters, which is on our Patreon. Taylor, I'm like so fucking pumped to speak to you do you want to plug your book and everything else you're doing in any way like are you going to be on good morning america no i think i've like started a feud with every single um (laughs) i have so much beef with the morning shows because they constantly promote misinformation related to like tiktok and other things that i don't think any of them would ever book me i hate television i hate cable news and i I, don't, I think I don't. I don't Taylor, know. I like I'm definitely love, not getting know, on honey, GMA. I again love soon. that you're being like my promotional availability is limited because I truthfully <gasps> have so much beef. Like that's actually the perfect pitch for your book is that you are like uh, discriminating and divisive, and you have a really fucking excellent understanding of something that has truthfully shaped my life and I think a lot of our listeners like you wouldn't be listening to this if you especially when you think about the deep dives we go down you wouldn't be listening to this if you didn't enjoy that as well so please go check out Taylor's book extremely online it's wonderful I will link it in the description and I'm listening to it on audible Taylor you did a really good job of reading it and I like I know that because I read like some little I I did an audible thing for some little like ebook I wrote sort of under duress and I just I can't recommend to you enough to go listen to the audible version or Usually, buy the hardcover too it looks so good on your zoom background do you prefer but, uh, well audiobooks just don't count Oh, they don't count? Yeah, but I'm an audiobook person myself. So consume my book however you want. But... But yeah, they, it's the book publishing industry is such a scam. They like don't count ebooks and audio audiobooks basically as like sales. And they have these like separate lists for them and stuff. But get the book however you want. Or Honestly, like, it does not matter. But I do have to give an extra plug for you know the hardcover, the physical copy. Yeah, no. So I will say if you are listening to this, maybe. You order it via Audible if you want to. If that's what yeah. you were already going to do. Do whatever you want. If you're you not want. a manual reader. But, <laughs> but then you go to the reviews and you say, was decent audio, but I had to buy the hardcover book because I knew I would enjoy it more that way. Yes. Like, And then give it like four and a half stars and just like the half star. Do you know what I mean? 
Oh my God. Is that good, Taylor? I would be so honored. I would be so honored. I'm getting review bombed by libs of TikTok fans right now. So any- I got to ask you about that on the after show because I literally, there's a crazy moment that I think is you, but I don't know if it is and I need to ask. So, okay. You All guys, right, let's get into it. It's not bad. Okay, you guys, thank you so much for listening to Trend Lightly. I'm Molly McLear. Tiffany Scott Maddox will be back next week. Make sure you follow Taylor Lorenz on all of those socials that I link in the description. And God bless America. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. That look like a Delta G Every girl in here 10 But it ain't no Tennessee And you might just get some money But it ain't no guarantee Delta G's on the left Delta G's on the right And you know I stay in Texas I don't really like to fight Like we in 2013 Shawty do it for the vine Shawty moving real well I might have to wind it down Threw the money to the ceiling Now watch it hit the flow Now rag it up huh? Rap, rap, rag it up King, bag it up huh? Back, back, bag it up King, stack it up Stack, stack, stack it up She said, where you at? Sam Marcus down in Texas And if I drop a pen Best believe that she on the Thought way. She was important, but I moved her right about the way. Delta cheese tonight. Told her, baby, I got cheese tonight. Get a scholarship. I ain't smoking on no TAC. Low tolerance. All these ladies telling me I'm finna blow. Like they tell her. Shout out TurboTax, tax refund. What's another bag? Like the quarterback at recess. No rush. And you gon' end up like a Call of Duty mission. No rush. This ain't UT. Why shirt orange like a pump? Mama call me as we have colleges. I said, bus. Attention, fans of fairy tales that are magical, hilarious, and grim. The award-winning Pinna original podcast, Grim, Grimmer, Grimmest, has new episodes out now. While you've probably heard of the Brothers Grimm, you've never heard these tales told in quite this way. I'm Adam Gidwitz, best-selling and Newbery Honor author of Books for Children, and in Grim, Grimmer, Grimmest, I share the real, weird, grim fairy tales with real, weird, hilarious kids. In each episode, you not only get to hear a story, but you also get to enjoy this group guessing what'll happen next, cracking jokes, and sharing their own perspectives on the tales. Also, heckling me. They love to heckle me. The episodes are rated on a scale from grim to grimmer to grimmest, so there's always a great variety of tales to explore with your family. You can listen to Grim, Grimmer, Grimmest now wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow the show so you don't miss new episodes.